You may be wondering why your bulletin says Pastor Steve is preaching. Um, he is not feeling well today, and so we have switched sermons, and I will be preaching on the death of the wicked. So aren't you excited about that? It's, it's an uplifting sermon. Will you pray with me? Lord, as we hear your word, open our minds and our hearts. Open our spirits to receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me get set the setting here. Um, Ahab and Jezebel have died. And now their son, King Ahaziah, has ascended the throne. And so this first chapter of 2 Kings talks about um, a disaster that he faced and his desire to know and to control. So let's hear these words from 2 Kings. Um, now Ahaziah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron to see if I will recover from this injury. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria and ask them, is it because there is no God in Israel that you are going off to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Therefore, this is what the Lord says, you will not leave the bed you are lying on, you will certainly die. So Elijah went. When the messengers returned to the king, he asked them, Why have you come back? And they explained to them that they met this hairy guy along the road, and he was dressed in some weird clothes, and he gave them this prophecy. And the king goes, Not him again. Elijah. Now, the king and his parents had had a lot of, of um, experience with Elijah, and Ahaziah, just like Ahab and Jezebel, we're not fans. And so we go on. Then he sent to Elijah, this is Ahaziah the king. Then the king sent to Elijah a captain with his company of 50 men. The captain went up to Elijah, who was sitting on top of a hill, and said to him, Man of God, the king says, come down. Elijah answered the captain, If I am a man of God, May fire come down from heaven and consume you and your 50 men. Then fire fell from heaven and consumed the captain and his men. Now, this happens a second time. These first 50 are gone. Ahaziah gets the word that they're gone, so he says, all right, next platoon, you're up. He sends the next 50 and a captain. And the same thing happens a second time. So 102 men have been consumed by fire. And now we have the next situation. So the king sent a third captain with his 50 men. This third captain went up and fell on his knees before Elijah. Man of God, he begged. Now, you notice the difference here? Man of God, he begged, please have respect for my life and the lives of these 50 men, your servants. See, fire has fallen from heaven and consumed the first two captains and all their men. But now, 
have respect for my life. The angel of the Lord said to Elijah, it's okay, you can go down with him. Don't be afraid of him. So Elijah got up and went down with him to the king. He told the king, Elijah told the king, this is what the Lord says. Is it because there is no God in Israel for you to consult that you have sent messengers to consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron? Because you have done this, you will never leave the bed you are lying on. You will certainly die. So he died, according to the word of the Lord that Elijah had spoken. Because Ahaziah had no son, Joram succeeded him as king in the second year of Jehoram, son of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah. This is the word of the Lord. Well, isn't this an exciting story? This story of Elijah and Ahaziah, though it is much more dire than some of the stories we have heard, it gives us a comparison, a really good comparison, of the character of God with that of the king. The sovereign God and the one who thinks he is sovereign. And it poses a question for us to think about in present day. What leads a person to choose a wicked life? How does that happen? Well, the first problem we face here is the fear of God versus the fear of not being in control. How many of you like to be in control? I don't see every hand going up, and I know that that's not true. We are Americans. We like to be in control. All people like to be in some sort of control of what's going on. Well, Ahaziah now is the king of Israel. Jezebel and Ahab are gone. And we can best see who he is, who Ahaziah is, by reading the last verses of 1 Kings. And it says it so clearly. Ahaziah did evil in the sight of the Lord because he walked in the ways of his father and mother. He served and worshipped Baal and provoked the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger just as his father had done. He was living as he had seen his parents live. And now the wickedness that they had perpetrated was going to continue through him. So we have this first problem, fear of God, or fear of not being in control, and then disaster comes. Ahaziah is badly hurt, falling through a window. Now, in that era, there wasn't glass, and um, Ahaziah's palace was tall, and he was at least on the second floor. And as he was walking along, the windows had a latticework um, across them of lightweight wood. And he fell through the window and fell and hurt himself very badly. Now, medical care in that era was not the best. In fact, it was almost non-existent. And so it was quite common to go off to a seer or a divinator, one who was seeking the spirits, to see if you would live or die. That was the prognosis. There wasn't a whole lot in between. Will I live through this or will I die? Now, God had strictly forbid this practice. In Amos 5, 5 and through 6, it says, Seek me and live. 
Do not seek Bethel and Gilgal, which were places of divination, or God will sweep through the house of Joseph like a fire. Seek good, not evil, that you may live, then the Lord God Almighty will be with you. Nevertheless, Ahaziah tells his messengers, go to Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, and find out if I'll live or die. We can see that Ahaziah is losing control of his life. He's fearful, and he needs to know what's happening. We've all been there. He desperately wants to live, but he wants to live on his own terms. This is not an uncommon feeling when we're hit with something that is out of our control, and many of us have been there. When fear controls our actions, especially in a life or death health issue, and seeps into our faith, no matter how small or how great it is, what choices do we make? And how do we make those choices? It has been said, something in us dies each time we reach out to save ourselves. Something in us dies each time we reach out to save ourselves. Fear drives us to be our own savior. Some of you may know, you might be country music fans or you may have watched the Grammys, and you may know that a country music star, Toby Keith, just died from stomach cancer. After miserable treatment, a desire for peace, and the joy of performing one more time, he decided to discontinue his cancer treatments that he'd been going through for two years. He knew where he was going, and he was at peace. I, of course, didn't know him or any of the fear and uncertainty he faced when he received that diagnosis, but I do know there is nothing quite so sobering as a surprise, life-threatening diagnosis. Is God in this? The questions run through your mind. What's happening? How do I take care of this? What about my family? How can I live through it? Your emotions run amok. Everybody gives you advice. I know a doctor who does this. I know about a medication who does that. And you're overwhelmed with information and with your own sense of fear. Many more issues constantly run through your mind until you are ready to reach out and hang on for dear life to the grace and mercy of God for his peace and his outcome. God is not a God of fear. Perfect love casts out fear. But there are times when it seems that fear is larger than life. In the case of Ahaziah, he wants to know and control. So we now see the sovereignty of God versus the sovereignty of King Ahaziah. He's the king. He's the sovereign of the land. And he is challenged the God of Israel. So now, God gives Elijah new marching orders. Can you imagine if you were Elijah? Would you not be sick and tired of this family by now? Think of all they've put you through. They've threatened your life innumerable times. You've had to live off in the wilderness by yourself. You've had to go against the prophets of Baal over and over again. You've had to prophesy 
against Ahab and Jezebel. You were not a popular guy. In fact, you didn't have any friends. He must be done with this. But we don't get that sense. Elijah intercepts the messengers of Ahaziah. And he, sends, he is sent to find out, who are sent to find out about Ahaziah's health and what will happen to him. They're on the road, and here comes Elijah, this strange-looking man, and he says to them, go tell the king he has sought out Baal instead of the true God of Israel, and he will surely die. You can imagine these messengers not wanting to bring this message back. No one wants to be judged, even when they are wrong, and no one wants to hear the worst, nude, the worst news, even if it is the truth. And Ahaziah is no different. The king is not happy, and he suspects that this strange guy that they're telling him about is Elijah once again. Obediently, Elijah has given God's message to the king. He's given him bad news. And obstinately, the king responds by sending 50 men and a captain to get Elijah. Elijah, come down, they say. Man of God, come down. The king is trying to reverse God's judgment. He thinks he has that power. And in great Old Testament fashion, the man of God calls down fire on the 50 men and their captain. This happens twice. Now, don't you love that? Wouldn't, don't you love explaining that to all your friends who think, I can handle the New Testament, but that Old Testament is always raining fire on people. Well, that literally happens here. God is judging this situation. And so twice, 102 men lose their lives as messengers for the king. The message is clear. The just anger of God versus the wickedness of Ahaziah. Standing alone is never easy. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. You probably have. Sometimes it's a big experience. Sometimes it's small but you are the lone voice of reason in some kind of conflict, especially if you are right and no one wants to hear it. Elijah had stood alone many times before. He'd stood alone before the king. He'd stood alone before Baal and the prophets of Baal. I've shared this story with my Bible study class, but it has so much meaning here. One of my friends, close friends from when I was at my former church, is a woman named Hilde Pearson, her husband Dan. They were two of the last people out of Kabul when we evacuated Afghanistan. They refused to leave as State Department employees until all of their staff, their Afghani staff, was safe with their family on the airplane, the last one out. Finally, at 3 a.m. on the last morning in Kabul, a helicopter came, plucked them off the roof of the embassy, took them to the plane, and they left. When they landed in Qatar, 
the army base was in chaos. All of the refugees from Kabul were there without any kind of help. They didn't have water. They didn't have shade. There was no formula for babies, no diapers, nothing. Fortunately, Hilda had ser Hilde had served in the military, and the commander of the base was a former friend of hers. He came to her, and she said, what is going on? He said, what do you need? And she looked around, and she said, what do I need? And he took over and helped her. She stayed, along with Dan, for four more weeks at that army base, helping vet and get visas for all of those people who needed to go somewhere, somewhere in Europe, somewhere in the United States, somewhere. And then they were sent home for a little bit of rest and reassigned to Jamaica. When they went to Jamaica, they were told that this was going to be an easy assignment they could relax and enjoy, but it was too late. Hilde suffered from severe PTSD. She came back to the States and has been in extreme counseling for the last two years. She's doing much better now and has just been assigned, along with Dan, um, to India. I talked with her via Facebook Messenger a few weeks ago and asked her what was one thing she had learned from this experience. And she said, as a lone person, the cavalry is not coming. The cavalry is not coming. Elijah was a lone voice for God. The cavalry was not coming for him to save him, but to take him to the king to kill him. And instead, God intervened three times. He intervened with fire and consumed the soldiers twice. Now, we could be put off by this, these poor soldiers. They were just following orders. But that excuse that we're just following orders didn't work for the first two captains and their men. And that excuse has been used throughout history to excuse the horror that humans can inflict on each other. The chief prosecutor at the Nuremberg trials was a young man named Benjamin Burrell Ferenz. He was 27 years old. He had been sent to Europe at age 22 toward the end of World War II to look at all the death camps as an attorney. He was horrified by what he saw. After touring the death camps and the prisoners were being repatriated, he was asked if he would help with the trials of the commanders of the German forces. At age 27, never having been a prosecutor before, he prosecuted 22 German officers using their own documents. And the excuse never could be, I was just following orders. He was a lone voice, a lone voice in the horror of the Nazi death camps. Well, now frantic and undeterred, the king, Ahaziah, sends the third group of soldiers who had a different experience. Instead of replicating the anger and wickedness of the king, they admitted their fear of God and asked that Elijah would respect their lives. The captain of this group, he, he's no dummy. He's seen what's happened. 
He doesn't want to burn in the fire. He falls on his knees before Elijah. He's not necessarily a believer of God, but he is a believer in what God has done. And he said, please respect my life. Please, man of God, respect my men. The courage of one lone voice. The character of God is on trial once again. And a just and sovereign God intervenes to protect Elijah and these men. These men may not have deserved to have their lives saved, but the captain of the 50 at least realized the power given him by the king did not supersede the power of God. That was the mistake of the other two captains. He was afraid for himself, he was afraid for his men, and with good reason. He was terrified because he had seen what God's response could be to wickedness. And so he calls on the man of God, and the man of God listens. With that, the captain escorts Elijah, whom God told not to be afraid. He escorts him in safety to the king, who will hear the final judgment of God. He will die, knowing that his family line will not go on. This is the death of the wicked. God had heard the captain's plea, that one voice of courage and fear reaching out to save himself and his men. He respected God's word of judgment and became a lone voice. One lone voice had cried out for salvation, and it had been granted by the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. By the same God who saved a man named Lot, who lived in Sodom, and his daughters, when Abraham prayed that God would spare Sodom if just ten righteous men could be found. By the same God who spared Rahab, a prostitute, because she helped the spies who were going into the promised land. He saved her and her family. By the same God who saved the blind man, the demoniac, the boisterous disciple, the woman at the well, the lepers who forgot to say thank you, and you and I. Because one lone voice cried out to the Lord, in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. Because one, Lord, one voice, one lone voice cried out from the cross, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because lone voices have cried out for us from before we were born that we too would know the mercy and grace of God, the salvation of God in a world that is turned toward idolatry and wickedness all too easily. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for lone voices in the world that stand for your truth, your power, and that you intervene and you guide us and you show us the way. Thank you for hearing us and for showing us your way. In Jesus' name, amen.